Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to your word, may the words of my mouth be useful to your people, and may your spirit be here to lead us that we might encounter you in a meaningful and real way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when we take a look at what it means to be a Christian, we have lots of people that have lots of ideas and lots of misconceptions. Oftentimes, we reduce the faith down into uh, something that we had a personal experience with or someone really taught us or, or just an emphasis that might not be the best or might not be the at least most complete picture. When I take a look at this Ephesians 4 passage, I think it really highlights some things about the church that are, well, a little bit necessary, but may not be the most riveting. But it stems out of this passage that Meg just read for us, stems off of a a transition in the book, in the letter. The, The letter to the Ephesian church started off in the first three chapters by really highlighting and explaining very clearly who we are because of what Christ has done. And that's where it begins and that's where it ends. And it's three glorious chapters explaining the fullness and riches of how God, through Jesus Christ, has loved us. And then he transitions. He transitions in chapter 4 through 6, the other half of the book, explaining because of all this goodness that Jesus has done, now we can live in this way. He transitions by saying, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, I urge you, He's writing this from jail. He's writing this from his imprisonment in Rome. I urge you as a prisoner to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So what is that calling? Well, he just spent the first three chapters. So if you ever just pick up reading in this text, you might want to go back and review what what just happened in the first three chapters. 
where God called us by name and before the foundations of the earth and poured out the blessings of Jesus upon us, where he calls us into his new life and into his new world. He calls us out of death and into life to prepare us for the good works of his glory, to prepare us for the good works that represent his kingdom, to prepare us to live this new life on earth as it is in heaven. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In order to do this, you need to be completely humble. You need to be gentle. You need to be patient. You need to bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called from one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of, of, of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. That sounds great, doesn't it? We could put an amen past the plate and we're all good. But the question is, how do we do this? How do we live this life that Jesus has set us up for and called us into? How do we live this life that requires us to be completely what? Humble? Oh, I mean, it really sounds good to say that, but then when you actually have to practice it, when you have to be humble and gentle, when you have to, to keep unity through the bond of peace, when you have to bear with one another out of love, bearing with one another sounds great until you have to do it, right? Now, you perhaps are different than I am. You've probably never had that experience of walking down the church hall and seeing someone coming that you weren't ready to bear in the bond of love and You've, you've probably never ducked into that classroom right to the left. Like, yes, oh, hey, nursery workers. I've, yeah, I just wanted to see what it would take to volunteer. i just not ready yet, but tell me more. You've never done that, right? You've never ducked and dodged somebody just to avoid a conversation that you were hoping not to have. And it's easy for us to start focusing on all of our differences. And we live in a world that wants to capitalize on our differences. We want to live in a world that capitalizes on what separates us rather than what unifies us. And I guarantee that if we line up most all Christian churches and all Christian traditions, we can find an overwhelming majority of that which we confess together. That doesn't mean there's not reason for some separations. That doesn't mean that every church is just alike. But I think if we start focusing on those unity things, we could do it. But how, again, do we do it? And that's where we come in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, he gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, that's a troublesome passage, probably the trickiest passage in all of Ephesians. If you've ever wondered what in the world is going on there, talk to me afterwards because I'm not going to answer it here. But I will just say this. It is referring to the fact that Jesus came from heaven and dwelt among us. And that when Jesus ascended back up, he left. But he left us with gifts. He left us with gifts of the Holy Spirit. He left us with the sealing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that the Spirit isn't just a passive observant, observer of our lives. No, the Spirit is an active 
presence of God dwelling in us, dwelling among us, and leading us, guiding us, and gifting us to do the work that he's called us to do. He who descend, uh, So Christ gave himself. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip this people. Now, I just have a question. Do you guys think that, that five, those five gifts are the only gifts that the, apostle, that the Spirit of God gives? Let's list them again. There's apostle, and there's prophets. There's evangelists, and there's pastors, and then there's teachers. I'm not going to ask for a, a, a show of hands, but how many of you feel not called to any of those five gifts? That could be a good lot of us, right? So why did Paul single these out at this moment? Why is it that apostles, those are the ones who witnessed Christ's resurrection and were sent? Um, there's a two different ways you could take apostles here. There was, you know, the apostles, which I think none of us can qualify for since we're 2,000 years late for that opportunity. But then there's the apostles who are ones who are sent by. I remember when I left my, my, my little church in Ohio as their youth director, and they were sending me out to become a youth director and go to seminary and do these things. They actually called me up, and it was... Uh, I tried to be really tough. I tried to be not tearful at all. But after 10 years of living with and serving with this community, the fact that they came up and asked the, the elders to lay hands on me, and they were sending me to seminary. They were sending me to the new church to serve. Yeah, I, I broke down. I was a mess. Because there was such a beautiful thing. Because they put their hand and their stamp and recognized, we are sending you to go forth with all that you've learned here. Go take it and bless the people that you're now called to. That's an apostleship. That's in a sense. There's a sendingness there. There are some group of people that think that these five gifts are still active today in the same way. And there's, some refer to the five-fold ministries. And I think there's a lot of credibility to that. But I think it's, we start playing a little bit of figuring out what gift is which. But even today, we send people in the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus we also have prophets. By the way, I also get a little bit nervous if somebody self-identifies as a prophet. Usually they just like contention. It's just kind of been my experience. But a prophet is someone who does what? Tells the future? No. A prophet is someone who speaks the word of the Lord to a day in a moment with some clarity. Hey, guys, the word of the Lord says this. We need to go a certain direction. This is not good, or this is good. This, we're a little off kilter. We're going a little bit off center. Those are the ways that the prophet might speak. And prophets aren't always necessarily have the best bedside manner, so to speak. They don't always have the most tact. But often they have a sense of truth, and we need to listen to those folks that God has gifted to say, maybe a little moment, we need to think about what we're doing. Evangelists, well, isn't everybody an evangelist? Again, this is one of those situations, one of those giftings, where on, on the one hand, yes, and on the other hand, see, on the one hand, we are all given the opportunity to share the hope that we have. What is the reason for the hope that you have? What is the reason for the happiness in your life? What is the reason that you get up on Sunday morning and go to that church? What is the reason that you didn't respond with anger to that person at work? Why do you have hope? And to that, every one of us is an evangelist. Every one of us is a person that can stop and turn and say, at the, set, at the center of my life is a faith in Jesus Christ, and he's called me to live a life that's a little bit differently. And he's given me strength to do that, and I don't know if you want me to explain it to you, I'd be happy to tell you what I've experienced. 
That's an evangelistic work. But then there are some people who seem to be just gifted by God to know how to get into spaces and places of spiritual openness and opportunity, and they proclaim good news, and people hear and receive at the work of the Spirit. But God has gifted some people uniquely to do that. And then there's even a third definition of evangelist. In our book of order, as an evangelical Presbyterian church, an evangelist is a church planter. Has anyone here ever been in part of a church plant before? A church startup? I've had the opportunity to be a participant in one, and uh, sometimes they thrive and are flourish for a long time, and sometimes they serve a purpose for just a few years. But either way, that person has been called to the, to the office of an evangelist. All right, now we get down to the ones that kind of intrigue you a little bit more. Pastors. I'm the transitional pastor. We know that we're coming up through this time where we as a church are going to be in transition. And this is why I kind of bring this text to you this morning, is so that we can rethink again, what does it mean for someone to be called to be a pastor? What does it mean for someone to be a teacher? And why are they a little bit different? So when we look at the purpose of these gifts, we look at the, the purpose right after in verse 12. He says it's to equip his people for works of service. God's called some of us to serve as these, this five-fold ministry le- level or layer, not to do the work of ministry. And I think that's the kind of the contrast. We're not relying on the evangelist to be the one that leads all the people to Jesus. We're not relying on the apostle to be the one to be entrepreneurial and start up every new initiative. We're not relying on the prophets to be the only ones that can speak the word of the Lord in a given moment. We're not relying on the pastor to do all the spiritual work in the lives of the community or the teachers to be the ones to unlock the tools and unlock the truths that we find in the scriptures. No. But God does give these gifts to some people in the congregation for a purpose. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, so that we become mature, so that we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What do you see when you look at these five-fold gifts? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What do you see? I see that God gave leaders. God gave leaders to his church to set them apart for works of love, for works of mercy, for works of, of, of good healing deeds, for that kind of work that basically becomes the artwork of God. If you look over in Ephesians 2.10, it talks about how for, for we come to know the grace through faith and not by works of our own, and that through that we are made to be God's artwork, God's workmanship. Have you ever thought of your life in Christ as God's artwork for the world? I don't think so. If you ever read recently, there was somebody who bought a, an old church building in Philadelphia and auctioned off, so they sold off the, the stained glass windows, I think for a mere $6,000, and then that person turned it around and sold it for several hundred thousand. You see, it's easy to look past some pieces of art as not having much value until you find the person that has the right value for it, right? 
And all of a sudden, those big, huge stained glass windows are as priceless as priceless artifacts. But to the other person, it was a burden. And I think here's the thing that we can look at in our lives. The life in Christ can be overlooked in such a way. The life in Christ can be overlooked in such a way that we don't grasp or see that when God, who is not only the artist, but the main gallery, oh, don't hesitate to see what God can do through our lives as his artwork. But he does that through raising up leaders in the church. So what leaders do we have in our church? We have elders, okay. We have deacons, right? Do we have trustees in this church? Okay, no? No, we don't have trustees, okay. It's one of the choices that each individual church can decide whether they want to have or not have. We have property committees, we have committee chairs, we have Sunday school teachers, we have uh, Bible study leaders, we have all sorts of folks. But the two main offices that we have in our church are elders and deacons. And those are the ones that come out of the biblical text. And so what are they here to do? Well, they're here to guide and to prepare and to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. And not just built up so that we can do great works for the world to see, but so that we can be mature, so that we can be whole. Well, why would we need that? Verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking truth and love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is the Christ. It's easy to come to church and think it's your own personal decision. It's easy to come to church and ask the questions, did I get anything out of today? It's easy to come into church and go, do I like the worship? Did the pastor bore me? Is there a good children's ministry? Do we have a new playground? Well, the answer to that one is yes, we do have a new playground. You should go check it out. Do we have a good coffee hour? The answer is yes, we do have a nice little coffee hour, which everybody's invited to afterwards. Um, and if you would even think about considering volunteering to help set that up, we could use a few more volunteers to keep that going. Shameless plug right there. But we don't really advertise and try to recruit to become elders. And yet, if you take a look at the scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where there's one of the key teachings on what it means to be an elder, it starts out with, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. And friends, if you take one thing away, well, I have two things I want you to take from today. But the first is this, aspire to be a leader in the church. Aspire to be one. It doesn't mean that opportunity is going to come soon or to everybody. Because, again, God's leadership is the ones that he gifted and he calls out. But it, is it good to aspire to be a leader? Is it good to aspire to build up the church? Is it good to aspire us to see and feel our connection to one another and to be a healthy community? Absolutely. And the more of us that would aspire to do that by living it out in our day-to-day -day lives, the more we will actually achieve that unity and, and, and maturity in Jesus so that we are not, what? Tossed about by every wind of teaching or cunning scheme or deceitful person. We're not thrown around by every person that disappoints us. We can start to have a bigger, more solid vision of who we are and why we're here. And then at that point, when we are healthier inside these walls, it doesn't, 
It can't help but leak outside these walls to the community that is honestly living in a world without the hope of Jesus. You see how it's all connected. One thing just kind of pushes the first domino and it starts to lead it in our lives. So I challenge you, aspire to be an elder or a deacon. Aspire to be someone who serves and is tasked with that opportunity and privilege to serve the community in a unique and beautiful way. If you want to continue to read through verse 3, it gives you the kind of the qualifications of what it takes to be an overseer. The overseer is above reproach. They're faithful to their spouse. They're temperate. They're self-controlled. They're respectable. They're hospitable. They're able to teach. They're not given to drunkenness. They're not violent. They're not, they're, they are gentle, but not quarrelsome. And they're not a lover of money. They manage their own family and affairs well. And they do so in a manner where the community sees them and offers them respect. That's kind of a good thing to pursue, isn't it? Wouldn't you, would you like that to be a description that people thought of you? Now, the other thing is that list is so daunting that everybody here might say, oh, well, sounded good until he read the list. Now I'm, I'm out. Granted, if we had to have perfection in this list, who would be qualified? None of us. So what's that old saying? But for the grace of God, go I. Just know that your session, your elders, your overseers, the people called to the office here in the church, and the deacons that support them with their service of ministry, uh, of mercy ministries, none of them are perfect. While this is, the, this is the criterion that we hold them to, we also understand that we go there by grace. So how does this work? How does someone become an elder? How does someone become a teacher? And I want to just take a moment and talk about teacher first. I think we're held captive to about three to 400 years of academia, that we think only that we think that teaching is merely opening up books. And in a little bit, I'm going to tell you that there might be some books on the back for you to go grab and get at a really great price. Because as a church, we do believe in reading, don't we? We do believe that books can help us learn. We do believe in, in finding some of the greatest thinkers of today, as well as some of the greatest thinkers that have passed and gone years before, that we should still be reading and reading. And, but I want to just separate that teaching, the academic classroom teaching, from the teaching that the elders give. Sure, do they need to open up the word? Yes. Do they need to study the scriptures? Yes. Do they need to know how to interpret them? Yes. But the real teaching of an elder and the real teaching of a pastor isn't that they can talk well, isn't that they can write well, it's that they live the gospel and they live the scriptures. If you ever get a chance to be on nominating committee, don't, think to, don't try to think about who has the biggest library or who can quote the most scripture. All fine, well, well, fine thing. I think big libraries are great. My wife's not here, so I can tell you that I think buying books is a wonderful thing. She does not appreciate that when the new books show up. She's like, one book shows up, which two are leaving? <laughs> That's why I'm glad we now have an office so I can have them leave. New shipping address. But the real teaching, think about that person. Just take a moment and literally think about who is that person in your past where you thought, oh, yeah, if ever there was a Christian I knew, someone who I saw Jesus through them, who would that person be? What makes them the person that you think of? 
Is it because they knew all the Bible verses or because they knew how to love? Was it because they knew how, to, uh, uh, how the book of order worked or because they were a good listener and helped you understand who you were? Was it the person who helped you understand for the first time or maybe another time when you desperately needed it? You are not a failure in God's eyes. No matter what you've done, he loves you. You are his child, and he will not forsake you. You see, those are the, those are the way the elders work in my life. And that's the way that I hope to be an elder in yours. Elder is not merely just a word that we sometimes mistake to be old. But often elders, our, our, the, our elderly, have lived enough life that they have gained what? Experience. Layers of, 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 of past opportunities. Wisdom. So yes, someone who's going to be an overseer, even if they're a young man, like, like Paul prepped Timothy, young Timothy, you to be an elder, he had to be wise like an old man. He had, to be un- he had to have the understanding and temperance of an older man. And so that's why we, ca- I guess, why we call them elders to this day. And then the deacons come in, and they come alongside, and what do they do? They, they were created, by the way, every, deacon, every group of deacons in every church is going to look different. If you've ever been in multiple churches, you can attest to this, that how our deacons are structured here and the function that they serve here is going to look different than the Presbyterian church down the road or the Baptist church or the non-denominational church that you've ever attended. But what their main goal is, is to serve and to bring sympathy, to bring empathy to the human condition. They're the ones that want to keep track of what's happening, who's hurting, how can we help. If you think about when they were started, there was the early church in the very beginnings of Acts, and there was strife between two groups. And the, the apostles, the pastors, the teachers, they're like, hey, we got a lot on our plate, we don't have the time to devote to settling all these disputes and to making sure that the food line gets done correctly. So we're going to appoint some deacons, some servants, to manage these things, right? And that's how the deacons were birthed. It's because we had some very real, tangible issues that we need to take and set down. So I told you I wanted you to uh, be encouraged to aspire to be an elder. So what does an elder do? According to the Book of Government in the uh, EPC, it's riveting. It was definitely written by some lawyers. And again, my apologies to any of our lawyers. I don't know who taught you all how to write. And I'm sure every word has its place and has its meaning. But I'll do my best to interpret it for you. See, the life of the ruling elder, according to the scripture, those who bear the office of ruling elder should be mature believers. They should be led by the Spirit. They should exhibit a manner of life that conforms to the biblical description of an In other words, you should see Jesus in their life. And so here's what they do. This is what they're responsible for, to study and learn the word of God. They should become equipped to teach in word and deed. Next thing they should be called to do is that they should be the under-shepherds of the pastor. And they should actually, with, along with the pastor, they should be the under-shepherds of the church for Jesus Christ, which means they should visit the sick and the bereaved and the lonely and the aged and the shut-ins. They should care for all those who have pastoral need. Also, ruling elders have a special responsibility for development. Think about that. 
Uh, this is why when a, a child comes forth who has professed faith and has been baptized, we want to we encourage them and welcome them to the communion table, but we want to make sure that they understand what they're doing. So they're developing our young people. They're developing people into mature believers who are ready to participate in the church. So they oversee the development of the children of the congregation, inquire about inactive members, they uh, check in on new members, and, and just ask people and foster and encourage spiritual development. They show care for those whom they serve. And lastly, the, el- the ruling elders should be attentive to themselves and church members, guarding against the dangers of this world that can steal away our joy and our, our success in our spiritual life and, break the uni- and, and to warn things about break the un- break, that break the unity of the church. Elders are God's gift to our church today. Deacons are God's gift. That's the second thing. The first thing was aspire. The second thing I want you to take away from this is that we need to support those who volunteered, those who take above and beyond their work week to care for the life of the church. Because why? Because Jesus gave them to us as his gift. That's what the text says here. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and the pastors and the evangelists. Christ gave us our elders. Christ gave us our deacons. By the way, are the elders flawless? Do they always get it right? Sometimes we want to move faster than the, uh, the, the Presbyterian system allows. Did you know that there's a reason the Presbyterian system is, is structured this way? We've learned from the past. Is it perfect? No. But just remember, these people who serve, who volunteer their time, are God's gift to us. And you've all been gifted through the Spirit. But God has called and raised up leaders within this congregation. And that is why through the nominating process, we just trust that the Lord will lead and put people in place for a season that God needs them. So what do we need to do? Support them. How do you support your elders? Through unquestioned obedience? No. That's not it. Through never questioning any idea that comes down from session? No. That's not it either. How about this? We support by praying for them. That real prayer that tangibly kind of takes hold of this life and asks God to act and be involved. Pray for them. Pray for their families. Pray for their protection because when they're at the... When they're in their office as an elder, they're kind of at the, exposed to the barbs and comments and negativity of the world. We can also agree that as a church, we will submit to them in the leadership, in the structure that we are. Not in a, in a blind sense of leadership, but we can say, we can recognize, God has called these people in this day to decide what they've decided, and we just have to trust the system, trust the process that it's going to work itself out in a good and general way. So submit to them, but also um, support them by not gossiping, support them by not spreading side rumors, support them by not offering out counter arguments for what could be. Another way we can support them is going through channels. Okay, I see, I don't know how to estimate, how many people do we have here on a given morning? 60, 70, maybe 80? Can you imagine what would happen if every decision we ever had to make, we had to stop and ask 80 people to vote on it? Does anybody want to live in a world that way? Please don't raise your hand. 
So that's why we recognize it's good to turn some things over to a group of people to represent us and to take, make some decisions, right? So let's be positive. Let's speak well of them. Let's protect one another against false rumors or, or just like unnecessary conversations that can go alongside. And let's aspire to join them. Let's aspire to join them in this world. Because what happens when we have leaders, when we have elders, when we have deacons that are functioning? Then we're equipped. We're equipped to do the good works of service. We build up the body of Jesus Christ. We build us up so that we aren't weak, but we are strong. We are living in a world that is filled with so much pessimism right now, but we have a hope. We have a hope that we were called to. One that centers and is anchored in the resurrection of God, who then says, you are welcome into my world. You are welcome into experiencing the goodness and faithfulness of what I've done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's through the church that we're going to do this. And so the more that we can be healthy, the more that we can support one another, then we will no longer be infants. It's a very polite way to say, stop being a spiritual baby, right? We will no longer be infants. We will no longer be open. We will no longer be susceptible for false teachings and crazy ideas. We will no longer be able to be turned into a a riotous mob ready to exert our own wills. But no, we will be crafted into unity and maturity, attaining the full measure of Jesus in our lives and in our community's life. It wraps up in verse 16. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in what? In love. How? As each part does its work. It is my prayer and hope that you all will get to experience figuring out how God has gifted you. For some, it may be a lifelong gifting for a certain propensity. I've always found that once a teacher, always a teacher, no matter what they're doing. It's especially, especially clear in grandparents. If you've ever had a teacher for a grandparent, you know that grandpa just loves to teach the kids little lessons, right? Once a teacher, always a teacher. But there might be a time in a season where you're gifted for a moment. Some of you might be gifted for something special here during this transitional season. Some of you might be asked to step into a committee that's temporary, but might be uh, developing and figuring out the vision of the church. Some of you might even be asked to join the pastoral search committee. Just trust that God will give you the gifts that you need for this time and for this season. But just know, as we serve together, as we serve alongside one another, we get to be a part of God building up his church among us. And his presence can be felt and experienced both now and forevermore. We pray this. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that as we come to the communion table later, we will be grateful again for your mercies, that you'll be grateful, we will be grateful again for your gifts. And Lord, we support, we just want to pray for our elders right now and thank you for just the extra time that they give, but also how you've gifted them with life experience and understanding of your life in Christ. And so Lord, we ask that you build them up, encourage them, give them vision and give them the ability to see and grant them great wisdom as they have to lead this church. We pray for our deacons, and we thank you how they care for one another. We thank you for how they break up the congregation into groups so that nobody falls through the cracks, 
so that it's not just a squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of mindset, but that, Lord, everybody will be attended to and cared for and prayed for. And, Lord, we pray that this way of love will truly build one another up and that we will grow and be strong and healthy as you make us strong and healthy to do your work in this world. Pray that you'll just line us up in line with your spirit, that we will learn to hear his voice, and that we will walk with you today and forevermore. Amen.